This is the Data Privacy Detective. It's late October, and I'm here with Joe Tomain. Joe's a visiting lecturer at the Indiana University Law School, and he's a fellow of Indiana University's Center for Applied Cyber Security Research. Joe, good morning. Good morning, Joe. Good to be with you. We're going to talk about facial recognition technology and what that has to do with data privacy. So uh, tell us about uh, facial recognition technology. Well, what I'd like to talk about are FIPS and law enforcement use of facial recognition technology. Okay, now you said FIPS. What, what, what are FIPS? FIPS is an acronym for Fair Information Practice Principles. It comes from a 1973 Department of Health, Education, and Welfare report. The title of the report's important. The title is Records, Computers, and Rights of Citizens. These FIPS, even though they started in 1973, remain prevalent in federal, state, and international privacy regulation. Okay, so what do they have to do with, uh, you know, our, our privacy and what we can do about it? So there are two of the five fair information practice principles that I want to discuss. One of them is there has to be notice of the existence of these databases that collect private information. The second one is if you're going to collect this information, not only do you have to disclose the existence of the database, but you have to maintain the security of the database as well. This has become important today because just this week, the Georgetown Center on Privacy and Technology issued a report called the Perpetual Lineup. And what this report discloses is as follows. Over half of U.S. adults are in facial recognition databases. That's approximately 117 million Americans. 52 agencies, law enforcement agencies, acknowledged using facial recognition technology according to the report, but only one obtained legislative approval. And in fact, the report goes on to say that they are not aware of any agency that requires a search warrant to access or use these facial recognition databases. So an example would be what, a driver's license that has a photo or a passport, that sort of thing? It could be those things as well as security footage from cameras when you walk down the street. It could be information that is in private databases that the government has collected as well. Now, is it just the government uh, that would have this, or uh, how about uh, pr the private sector or uh, evil criminals out there ready to do us in? Uh, there is no limit on who has access to this technology, and when I get to the end, I'll mention some points about the private industry. But what I want to talk about in the context of law enforcement uses of facial recognition databases is that they affect the existence of constitutional rights. And I'm going to talk briefly about the First Amendment and the Fourth Amendment. In 1958, the Supreme Court issued a decision, the NAACP versus Alabama. And in that case, the Supreme Court said that individuals have a First Amendment right to associational privacy. And essentially what happened there is that Alabama asked the NAACP for their list of members in order to prevent them from activities in Alabama. And the Supreme Court said they don't have the right to that information because we do have First Amendment rights of associational privacy. Fast forward, the Fourth Amendment we can see that we have privacy in public places, and there's two cases that illustrate that. The first one many might be familiar with is the Katz versus U.S. decision from 1967. And there the Supreme Court says that the Fourth Amendment does not protect places, it protects people. So when an individual was using a phone booth, the court said that that individual has a reasonable expectation of privacy in their conversations. Now, the court also said they might not have an expectation of privacy against the uninvited eye because you could see them in the phone booth, but they did have a privacy interest in the unintruded ear. That's 1967. And if you go to 2012, 
the United States versus Jones decision involved the government attaching a GPS tracker to a car. They surveilled the car for four weeks. And in that decision, the court said that attaching the device was a trespass. That's the majority opinion by unanimous court. But the most interesting part of the U.S. versus Jones decision is that there are two concurrences. One concurrence by Justice Alito, who had the uh, three other justices joined him and said that long-term tracking of an individual violates a reasonable expectation of privacy. So you can imagine that if you have a surveillance team of human beings following this person around for four weeks, that might not violate the expectation of privacy, but through the use of technology, it might. And so even though, how does this fit into the facial recognition conversation? When you're out in public, your face is there. But do you have privacy rights in public? And I think what I've established here through the First Amendment case and these two Fourth Amendment cases is that we do have privacy rights in public. And what I want to talk about is the notice aspect of the fair information practice principles. We need notice that these databases exist, what information is in them, and how the government gets them. And I'm not advocating against the law enforcement's ability to use these databases, but as a society, Facial recognition technology is a new privacy invasion. And in order to come to a proper balance between the security of law enforcement and the privacy of individuals, we need to have an open conversation. And if we have, now, if we have notice, as you're suggesting, we may have the right to, what, what do we do about it? How do we protect privacy when we would prefer not to end up on uh, the front page of a newspaper or uh, in the sites of a federal government agency? That's a broad question, which, which deserves a broad answer. What do we do about it? Uh, in litigation, perhaps we have opportunities to discuss whether a search warrant was required to use the database. Uh, in our conversations with our friends and family, we have the opportunity to talk about these issues. But without notice of these databases, we have no opportunity to engage the conversation. So this report that just came out this week from the Georgetown Privacy Center is important because it allows that conversation to continue. I can't pretend to have the answers to the question about what law enforcement should be able to do with these databases other than the fact that we should be able to have that conversation. So that's an October 2016 report we all ought to read. Yes. And then the second fair information practice that I want to discuss is security. In September of this year, 2016, the Associated Press issued a report that says law enforcement misuse of databases exists across the country. From 2013 to 2015, there were at least 325 officers fired, resigned, or suspended for misuse of databases. Another 250 had lesser penalties, such as perhaps a censure or a reprimand. What were these misuses by law enforcement? Searching out information about romantic partners, searching information about neighbors and acting upon it, and searching out information about journalists. So without the notice of these databases, we can never get to the conversation about how they should be secured and making sure that when law enforcement accesses these databases, they do so in a way that doesn't violate individual rights. Good point, Joe. Any conclusions you draw as we wind this one to a close? So the conclusion is this. As you mentioned at the beginning, the use of these facial recognition databases are not limited to government. They are also used by private actors as well. And so by having notice about the use of facial recognition databases, whether it's by public or private actors, it helps us remediate two flaws we have in our current privacy conversation. Number one, there's an information asymmetry. As we've pointed out already, we can't have a conversation about the use of these databases if we don't know that they exist and what's contained in them. And then secondly, there's an imbalance of power. Right now, the government and large private actors 
have more power than individuals to engage in this privacy conversation. And so until we can correct this information asymmetry and the imbalance of power, we're not going to push the privacy ball forward. Well, thank you, Joe. Very interesting. Uh, we should know the how our facial recognition is being shared and collected and so on. And Joe, you've helped us understand how to do that. Remember, your protection of your personal data begins with you.